Hey, welcome to the Rain and Morale podcast. So do you ever feel like screaming out in the office on Zoom or outside the school gates? For the love of God, come on, really? Then if this is you and you're looking for an honest, fun and frank podcast on life and business, then sit back and listen to me, Rain and Morale. I'll be bringing great people on the show to talk, share and debate their life experiences and business challenges. Keeping the show unpolished, but in a fun and unique British style, with sarcasm, tenacity, maybe a few swear words or tears. This podcast keeps it real, honest, raw and removes the bullshit in the only way I know how, through authenticity and getting shit done. Think of it less like the Housewives of New York or TOWIE with the lipo and drama and more like the house lives of the real world. I hope you'll take something away to be better informed laugh, smile, or maybe even finally getting the confidence to shout, come on, really. So enjoy. Hi, Captain Kieran Kelly. How are you? Welcome to the Rain Roll podcast. Hey, good morning. How are you? I am really, really well, thank you. And uh, for the listeners, um, are you okay if I call you Kieran or do you prefer Captain? No, just call me Kieran. Okay, awesome. Kieran is joining us today um, all the way from Indonesia and I'm delighted to have Kieran with me today because I've been following him for quite some time now and I've absolutely loved his approach around honesty, transparency and his kind of no bullshit attitude towards things and for anyone who knows me, (laughs) that's very similar to me. So I'm really delighted to to have Kieran. Kieran is the uh, director at Ocean Integrity at the Ocean Integrity Group. And Kieran leads a global organization which is looking to reduce ocean plastic pollution. I know that Kieran, if he's willing, will share the, 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 the story about how we come to be doing this, um, but also around some, some great patenting technology that he has about tracking and tracing, and I'm not talking COVID. Um, and also working in empowering Indigenous people as well. So I'm super excited to have you here today. Welcome to the show. Over to you, Kieran. Please tell us a little bit about how you ended up dedicating and giving your time towards our oceans and, yeah, what what your main mission is. Hi. um, Well, I guess my journey has been slightly different, I guess, than the average environmentalist. Um, I grew up on the south coast of Ireland, a tiny little Viking village called Helbig. Um, the people in that village had worked in the ocean for multiple generations, including my own family. I can track, trace my family back five generations, again, in that particular uh, little village. Um, because, I guess, of overfishing um, inside their, our waters, uh, I ended up emigrating to the United States. The sheer destruction that was being done by the European fleet in Irish waters uh, was 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 unreal. Um, we went from catching both loads of fish to catching a few kilos of fish a day. Um, so I left. I ended up in the US. I opened up my first company there in, in Gloucester, Massachusetts. Uh, shortly after arriving in the US, that company was very very successful, and I had companies on the east and west coasts of the US and through Central and South America within within a few years. Um, the fishing industry was something that I that I absolutely loved. Uh, it was something again that I grew up in. My how I got into this space, I guess, was uh, I had a son. Uh, he was fifteen, just going on sixteen. He was uh, 
he was actually murdered. And he used to spend every minute um, of the day, uh, every minute he'd off school, he would spend it on a boat with me. And he was just fascinated about the industry and um, and everything connected to it, that he'd live, sleep and everything just, just to be on the ocean. And I guess after that, everything for me changed. My um, I started looking at the companies were no longer important. The industry was no longer important to me. I lost my passion for it. Um, and I started looking at ways, how could I give something back? How can I how can I do something that is to give something back, I guess, and at the same time, remember my son. Um, yeah. the, the amount of plastics that we see in the ocean everywhere was 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 unreal. Uh, the South Atlantic to the South Pacific, North Atlantic, or or the or, or the North Pacific, and North plastic everywhere. Um, I guess the very last year I was fishing. Uh, early in the year, I was down off the coast, I guess, of Central America, and we were getting plastic in deep water that had never really been fished before. Um, right. Lots of fish, but lots of plastic. I mean, there was no fishing vessels ever there. Uh, there was this was household waste. That was after coming from halfway around the planet. You could see the writing on the bags of the stuff out of you know yeah. China and Japan and so on and so forth. That winter, I ended up in up in the Bering Sea fishing, and it was the same thing. Oh. We were so far north that that winter, um, it was just a mild winter. We were right up in the up in the uh, polar caps, and of oh. course there was plastic everywhere, absolutely everywhere. Plastic again. Plastic that came from all over the world, again, from areas that was virgin grounds that had never been touched before. And what was on the ocean floor that was plastic, great amounts of it. Um, I remember calling home that night and saying, you know what? That's it. I'm all done. I said, I'm going to, I'm giving this up. I said, I'm going to try and do something. I'm going to try and try and fix some of the problems that are being caused in the ocean. Some of the problems that I caused myself too. And yeah. try to fix some of these. And um, uh, hence, we started looking at, at ways to do it, started looking at ways to collect plastic. Initially, I was shocked about the amount of money that was spent in the environmental space. When right. I looked at the amount of money that was being spent compared to the amount of plastic and stuff that was being retrieved, I was shocked. Um, I was also shocked when we looked to uh, trademark our name. Again, it was Ocean Integrity. Um, I saw that there was thousands of environmental companies with the word ocean in them and right. and when you read their about their companies they all spoke with this ocean plastic they were all highly well funded but nobody was doing anything about it um that kind of shocked me uh yeah. so we we put the company together initially it was to target plastic at the backside of hurricanes through the caribbean and the southern states of the united states something really really simple as hurricanes run ashore and the backwash of the storms we'd be in the ocean and just scoop up the plastic. Um, big volumes of plastic, but just an easy way to do it. An easy way, I guess, for a fisherman to do it. And that's, that's the way I was thinking. Um, shortly after that, we were asked to look at a project there in, in India, and I ended up in Mumbai. It was kind of shocked that like within a couple of months I was fishing, and you now I was waking up in a hotel in, in Mumbai and um, listening to all the hustle bustle, and I guess... Everything changed after that. I just started to realize, like, you know, we had massive problems. Um, the volumes of plastic that we had, like, you know, was absolutely staggering. And when I went to these indigenous villages to speak to these fishermen, the next thing that shocked me is they wouldn't, tr they didn't trust me. And I said to them, 
hey, I said, I'm here, I'm trying to help, but there's some way we can collect plastic and just try to have this conversation with them. And they looked at me as an environmentalist, not as somebody on the same level as themselves. Right. And I remember two particular countries, India and Indonesia, um, the same thing happened, I guess. First of all, it happened in, in India, and I used the same excuse, I guess, to break the ice, I guess, with the fishermen in, 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 in Indonesia after that. These guys had a ripped up net. They were net was torn and they were yeah. making a really poor attempt to fix it. So I asked the guy for the needle and the knife to repair the net. And I sat down the ground, uh, dirty ground covered in mud and fish oil and guts and everything else. And I started mending these nets. They were shocked. A white guy could actually do something that these indigenous people could do. They were shocked yeah. by that. Absolutely shocked. And they came around me and there was hundreds of them just standing all around watching this this white guy. I mean, white white people can't do this. White people are on, you know, their TV doing stuff or whatever. Like yeah. that's the only interaction they would actually have with it. Like, but somebody to get, be able to go down to their level. So once I was able to convince them over a couple of weeks, I'd go back every day. And I would speak to them and I'd say, hey, I want to help you here. I want to collect this plastic. I want to try and figure out ways we can make nets. We can design these nets for you guys and we can pick up this plastic. And um, eventually, I guess, I kept coming back. And eventually, like, you know, they trusted me. And, you know, today, a lot of these indigenous communities around the world, they know me. Um, they don't consider me an environmentalist. They see me as a fisherman. They see me as the same. I identify to them as one of them instead of one of the other people that's trying to chastise them and put them and end their way of life. And I never try to do that. I try to empower them in every way I can. Um, what I guess shocked me the most was I thought I knew poverty. I was after spending a lot of time through Central and South America. And, um, and I thought I knew poverty, but I really didn't. I didn't see poverty compared to what I saw in some of these other countries. It was a lot worse. Um, the standard of living was a lot lower. Uh, if you look at the east coast of India, a fisherman is earning approximately three dollars a day. If he if he works twenty days a month, he earns sixty dollars a month. I mean, sixty dollars. I mean, it's pennies. Um, these people, like you know, they are so poor. It's 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 unreal. The, the solution, and, you know, we say in our company the whole time, we say we have two different, different phrases. And one is we only have one ocean. And it's multiple, you know, people think it's multiple bodies of water. It's only one. It's only one ocean we actually have. We can put whatever name onto that we like. And we also firmly believe fishermen are the solution, not the problem when it comes to ocean plastic. The environmental world has alienated themselves completely uh, with, with 54 million people on the planet. And that's the fishermen all over the globe. Most of them are indigenous guys, but they paint them all with the wooden brush, no matter who they are or what they do. From a large industrial uh, fisheries, like the fisheries I was involved in, or to yeah. an indigenous guy with a hook and line catching a fish, they paint them all the same way. The problem with that, of course, is they, the number of these guys are on the water. These guys have the solution. We look at it there. We just developed a new app again for the for our collections. The app itself is very, very unique. Um, again, we started looking at how can we improve the lives of these people? How can yeah. we eliminate plastic? How can we drag these families out of poverty? How can we make sure that these kids we stop child marriages? How can we how can we improve the lives of all these people? 
with an app. And the more we looked at it, we looked at all the apps that were launched before and why did they fail? And of course, one of the biggest reasons is collections. And of course, on the backside of that was transparency. So we developed an app. First of all, say, for instance, Mohammed, say in North Jakarta, um, say Mohammed downloads our application. Say he's going to sign up and go collecting plastic there for us. We meet Mohammed. We make sure that, you know, Mohammed is, has the tools that's needed, the small nets or whatever. Like, you know, we, we provide whatever he needs for that. We make sure that he has a, a mobile device. If he doesn't, we'll make sure we, should, we take care of that as well. Um, once he starts collecting that plastic, Mohammed, don't, or Mohammed downloads our application. He puts in his, again, his entire family. Mohammed, say his wife, say son, daughter, however many kids he has. We collect all that data. So once Mohammed moves and he, he starts collecting some plastic, he turns on the application. Mohammed is in the ocean. He's moving around collecting his plastic. He's constantly taking photographs of the plastic he's collecting. Every time he does that, we're taking, we're collecting latitude, longitude. We're also, again, like time stamping everything that's, that, that he's doing. Once he's making his way ashore, say at the end of the afternoon or day or whatever it may be, um, he contacts the truck driver. The truck driver also has our application downloaded. So again, the truck driver turns around, he meets Mohammed. When they meet, meets Mohammed, the truck driver takes all the bags of waste, um, again, from Mohammed. They attach QR codes to it. They take away to the plastics. They are coming off the boat and all the plastics put on the truck. The truck driver then scans Mohammed's phone and he takes the QR code from Mohammed's phone onto the truck driver's phone. The truck driver then heads from there to the warehouse. As he's doing that, we're measuring the carbon footprint of the truck driver, how far he's going, his exact route. The same as you have a, a um, say, an Uber uh, application on your phone. We're, we're, we're measuring measuring what the truck driver is doing. Once that once that plastic arrives to the warehouse, uh, the plastic itself, the bags are opened. Independent auditor is meeting the truck. Each one of the bags are opened. They're checked. They scan the QR codes to make sure that these bags, these particular bags are all belong to the same Mohammed and all the rest of the yeah. piles are put in separate piles. The bags are opened at that stage. Once the bags are opened, we go through the bags to make sure that there's no organics in the bags, to make sure the bags are dry, um, to make sure that we're getting plastic, that we're not getting oil and rocks and everything else like that where we see problems in the environmental space. So they're getting just plastic. The plastic is separated into separate piles. And then the QR codes go with that plastic. The plastic is weighed. The signal is sent back to the fisherman who collect that. So he knows then with the auditor and with the warehouse manager how much plastic he actually collected. And he gets a full report breakdown on that. The plastic itself goes away then to be recycled. If it's going into, say, a road surfacing for asphalt, or if it's going to construction, or if it's going to say plastic, we're doing some plastic back in the UK now with a uh, chase plastic. It's taking plastic off us there in the UK. Plastic that comes out of the rivers here. Um, yeah. P plastic, they're getting yield of 96%, I believe, the last lot of plastic they took from us. Um, so we're sending plastic around the world then to be recycled if we can't recycle it here. We also measure that, again, the carbon footprint of every last thing that we do. What we do on top of that, that's just the environmental side. The social side of what we do is enormous, absolutely enormous. What we do with it then, we, we look at Mohammed again, like, you know, we tried, we asked Mohammed to collect one ton of plastic a week, every right. week. And we said to Mohammed, you collect a ton of plastic a week, we'll pay you $200 to collect that. You do it for four weeks, you earn $800. 
You must remember now, Mohammed, are these guys were earning 60 or 80 or $100 a month uh, prior yes. to this. So now they're earning real money. But there's rules. Like in life, there's rules and regulations with everything. Uh, and what we have with that, we collect the data. We work with the Department of Education. We speak to them the whole time. We make sure that these kids are going to school. The kids have to go to school. The kids yeah. have to be getting education. The kids can't be working in the sweatshop. The kids' grades have to have to improve. A question that I'm asked and my team is asked the whole time by the collectors, hey, how come we don't even collect two tons of plastic a week and we get $400 each? Yeah. And the, the answer is very simple. You have kids to raise. You have to make sure that your kids get a proper education. You have to spend time with the family and make sure they get that. If your kids' grades don't improve, and if you cannot justify why it's not improving, and if you're not putting a proper effort into that, we'll take you off the program. We'll remove you from the program. You have to educate your kids. You have to make sure your kids are getting a proper education. We yeah. want your kids not alone to finish high school. We want them to go to university there too. There's programs there and it's for quite easily to do that. Easy to do that. So again, we'll push it like, you know, there are multiple ways with that. We want to make sure that your kids are not going to get married before they're 18 years of age. That the kids yeah. are going to become an adult before they get married. That they're old enough to make that decision themselves. That is something that's very, very important to us. We see it inside in the villages and we see it inside in the communities all over the world. Uh, poverty, well, poverty creates a massive problem. And of course, like without addressing the problem of poverty, you can never fit, you can never address the environmental problems. I see the hashtags, and uh, LinkedIn is so famous for that, right? It's hashtag empower, or hashtag indigenous, and all this stuff. It's all more or less meaningless with most of the people that's putting it down there. Again, like, you know, we have to make change. We can do, we can make change. We can, we can tick all the ESG boxes that any corporation has. We can do it by doing it the right way, doing it the right way. We can also, again, reduce a company's carbon footprint by doing that. Uh, we look at it every, every ton of plastic that's making the way into the ocean, according to the United Nations, um, is creating up to $33,000 worth of damage to the global economy. These are numbers, again, that the United Nations are, are coming up with, not us. So yeah. if you have a company that's taking, say, 10 tons of that plastic from the ocean every year, that is, that is they're helping reduce, again, the problems with inflation, global inflation. And again, what's happening to the global economy by up to $330,000. On top of that, every ton of plastic that's coming out of the ocean about saving biodiversity and on top of the biodiversity, about every ton of plastic that's coming from the ocean is helping um, reduce uh, by taking out the ocean uh, the uh, CO2 levels by 10 tons of CO2 for every ton of plastic that you're removing from the ocean. So there are so many different ways that corporations can actually do it that it makes sense that you can tick all the boxes and yeah. genuinely do something. Instead of just having hot air and hot talk about that. What do you say to those that would be kind of feeding back and going, well, but that's not dealing with the upstream. That's not dealing with the producers of all this plastic and the waste in the first place. So are you, do you know what? Actually, this is about us working with local communities, indigenous people, creating an in economic environment. So is their fishing is depleting? Um, there is an alternative source of income whilst creating this environmental impact. Do you work with those? Do you keep a log of the number of brands, anything like that? And, and how, how, do you, how do you approach all of that in terms of who's creating the waste? 
Well, who's trading the waste? You know, it's it is. I speak I speak with universities all the time, right? And I was speaking with a with a, a large university in the United States um, that we partner with, and I was speaking with them uh, there several months ago, I guess. And one of the things that prior to giving a speech there with with, with some students. Um, I hear them bashing a lot of the brands, saying all these brands are pretty much evil, right? And I usually, I usually, if I'm going to speak, I will again. I, I look at, I, I, I'm trying to research, I guess, like you know, the, the mindset, like of of a lot of the professors in universities. And one question I will always ask, and I ask everyone this, and again, I'll ask your listeners the same thing, just to think about this: if you buy a bottle of Coca Cola and you drink that bottle of Coca Cola. And you throw that into the ocean. Who's responsible for that? If somebody comes along after that and makes a TikTok video and shows the Coca-Cola bottle on the beach and hashtag Coca-Cola, is Coca-Cola responsible for it? They're not. You're responsible for that. On top of that, like I look at companies like Coca-Cola. And again, I'm not just trying to pick that one company, but all these companies. But I look at that particular company. The work they do is unbelievable. The amount of work that Coca-Cola do in Indonesia is second to none. It's the same in Africa. It's the same as South America. They're recycling more plastic than anyone. We are the ones that are creating the problems regarding plastic waste. Our politicians and our governments didn't put the proper infrastructure into place. We have not a pollution problem. We have a global waste management problem, a massive waste management problem. Until we fix the waste management problem, of course, we're still going to have the pollution problem. Regarding the ocean, the plastic is stacked up so high in the ocean floor. We're going to be years cleaning it up anyway. Uh, Here north of north of of Jakarta, in areas in the ocean in the in the ocean here, the government has reported in areas here there's up to ten meters of plastic on the ocean floor. That is higher than a single family home in the UK. That is stacked up on the ocean floor. We've measured it up to seven meters in places. Seven meters, a little bit of silt, a little bit of plastic, so on and so forth, going down for seven meters. So we can't leave it there. We have to retrieve it. We have to build the infrastructure, of course, like, you know, they're the waste management system. We have to put it in place. Without doing that, of course, like, you know, there it is a problem. Um, we, we work with lots of companies, again, to try and, to try and uh, curb um, the, the pollution problem. We were in Kalimantan last week, uh, the site of the new uh, capital city. Again, we're looking to we're looking to get a contract there to have zero waste uh, to landfill. We're working with a with a company there in the US called Carbatura. Uh, with likes of Carbatura, they can recycle up to two thousand tons a day uh, per plant of all mixed waste, including organics, without any separation. Their technology is really? amazing. Yeah, um, there's another company there in the US that that we're just about to uh, partner with again. They can do up to three thousand tons a day of mixed waste, landfill waste, everything. There's lots of technologies coming online now to handle the problems that we face. And of course, like zero waste to landfill has to happen. I mean, that just yeah. has to happen. We have to turn waste into a commodity. We have to we have to do that like, you know, there on, on a global scale, especially in the poorer communities. I see the wealthier communities in every city that you will go to. You go to any city in any country in the developing world. You go to the poorer neighborhoods, it's full of trash. People can't afford to pay 20, 30 cents a day or a dollar a day to get rid of trash. You just can't afford it. It's too much money. Yeah. So unless we can fix that problem, you're going to have another problem, right? 
So, but even if you fix the collections of that plastic, even the plastic that's coming out of the wealthier neighborhoods, most of that ends up back in the river anyway. So, like, you know, there's multiple problems there. I mean, you have to, it is, yeah. it is down to collections is not the, you know, people say, well, we need to work with the community to collect the plastic. That's fine. You collect the plastic. What then? Exactly. You know, it's the same, same thing again. Like, you have to have a system in place um, that when you collect that, that trash, that that trash at that stage is going to be recycled. I yeah. see the vast majority of, of Westerners that you'll see on LinkedIn that are in Indonesia. They all live in Bali. Um, everyone in live in Bali. I don't blame them. It's beautiful there. Um, you know, again, I live in yeah. Tangerang. I live in I live in one of the worst polluted areas on the planet. And I live here because again, I like to I like to work with the villages. I work with the people here all the time, and I feel more at home. I mean, just with the realism. Yeah, I grew up in a village. I didn't grow up in a I didn't grow up in a very wealthy family. I actually grew up in quite a poor family. Um yeah. so again, like you know, I can relate to people, I can relate to people in the villages. Everyone knows me. Again, I can work with them, I can embrace them, and I can do something positive by living in there. I can live in Bali. Of course, I can, you know, I'd live in a beautiful villa on the beach, but can I do anything in these communities? And the answer is no, I can't. Yeah. So it's about you have to be on the ground. You have to be on the ground, you have to be able to you have to be a realist about the problems that we actually face. You have yeah. to be. It's not about just collecting the plastic. When you collect it, what are you going to do with it then? We, exactly. we I see the environmental space like, you know, there is, it's, it's corrupt to the core. It is so corrupt. It is so corrupt. I don't even know where to start. And it's, it's when you, when you mention that uh, publicly, they'll come after you. Um, yeah. the, the whole space like you know there has been corrupted for years the problem with it the amount of money that's been pumped into it and into again into NGOs to write white papers to say Coca-Cola is bad and whatever else right I mean is it fixing the problem no this money that's been pumping pumped into these organizations should be building infrastructure I saw the Alliance to End Plastic Waste today announced that they invested yeah. 44 million dollars in a PET project, right? With a with a woman here that I love. She's absolutely amazing. And I'm great friends with her. And I'm delighted yeah. for her business. But is that going to help the Alliance to end plastic waste? No, it's not. Is it going to do anything for that? Absolutely nothing. Um, the Alliance to end plastic waste, they achieved less than 2% of our targets last season. And again, right. the reason they're, they're not achieving that, again, everyone is looking at plastic, likes a PET. PET is an easy plastic to recycle. Really easy to recycle. Anybody can recycle it. Um, that's not the problem plastic. We don't see PET in the rivers. Very little. Um, we definitely don't see it in the ocean. It doesn't make it that far. Um, it's usually collected prior to that. Because there's a value around it. There's already a circular economy around PET. It's not a problem. The likes of this. The likes of the, yeah. the PEs. The LDPs. The HDPs. All of these. These are problem plastics. That again, yeah. very few people uh, target. This is a lot of the plastics that we try and target, a lot more of the, the, the peas. Um, again, we try and target large volumes of that. We don't, we don't, we don't, uh, to date, we haven't given as much as a kilo of plastic for waste to energy uh, projects. Again, the issues we have with that is emissions. Um, I live here. I see how bad the air quality can be here at times. And of course, I see the, the deaths and everything that's happening inside these villages because of, uh, people's lungs collapsing and everything else because of pollution. Yeah. Like we have to do better. It's okay for our Western governments to pump money into um, uh, waste for energy programs or send plastic to a to a concrete uh, plant, to a cement plant. 
And again, like it's pretty much a black cloud of smoke going into the air. And people are saying, well, the plastic is gone, right? I see a fantastic company, Unilever. Uh, Unilever, again, British company, an amazing company. And I saw Unilever there last year saying how they were going to increase the tonnage of plastic that they're actually handling this year. They are. It's all going for waste for energy. And um, again, there's, yeah. you know, it's, it's sweeping everything under the rug. We're all doing that. And the biggest reason for that is we don't have solutions. There's not enough of I, solutions there. And like, you know, more money has to be invested into recycling. There's no doubt about that. That has to happen. And of course, we have to collect plastic. Instead of writing, we all know there's a problem. Instead of writing articles to say the world is bad, we're all going to choke on plastic. We need to collect it. We need to do something with it. We need to stop talking about it and we need to actually do something about it. I, I've got a million questions going through my head right now. Um, thank you for that. I, I'll keep my views kind of aside at the moment. Um, give me some great examples, actually, of some of this tech um, that can recycle mixed types of plastic and what are they producing? What are they putting it into? <clears throat> yeah, um, I'll actually make an introduction to you to the, to the guys at Carpatura and you can speak directly with them. Carbatura is one of two or three companies I believe will be the next Teslas of the world. Um, their technology is unbelievable. I will actually, after this, I will, I will send you a video about, about their Thank tech. You. It is, it is on, unreal. Um, what these guys, uh, what these guys are doing, they're producing biofuels and, and all, all, all different stuff, but they, they're zero sorting. There's zero, zero uh, separation of waste. They can take from human waste, from, from sewage, to plastic, yeah. to trees, to coal, to oil. Everything goes through these, these large reactors. Uh, there's zero emissions. Um, everything is broken down in the, in the reactors. They get multiple different, seven or eight different products they get from it. Uh, their right. technology is, is, is out of this world. They have uh, five or six plants opened at the moment. Uh, they're in the U.S., I believe they have um, uh, spent something like $6.9 billion since they started um, on plants there globally. Uh, a massive company, an amazing company. Um, again, what they do is very different than us. We look at them as a way to get rid of some of our, some of our problem plastic because we put some of that into, into road surfacing, into back into an oil for asphalt, which is great, um, and a great way to get rid of plastic. But again, we're always looking for partners. We're also always looking for partnerships. We work with brands. One of the questions you asked me earlier on there about brands, mm. uh, how do we empower brands? Uh, we're going to announce there over the next uh, couple of weeks now with, um, with another fishing company, actually. Uh, they produce a real high-value lobster. And for every lobster that they actually, that they actually sell, we'll take the equivalent of, a, of the same weight of plastic there from the ocean for what they sell. So by eating this seafood, which is 100% sustainable, the most sustainable fishery on the planet, uh, they use wicker traps, so they don't even use plastic traps, very eco-friendly. But now by people actually going out to eat, you can help save the planet by actually eating their seafood. On top of that, like, you know, we looked at, we looked at beers, uh, one beer company that we're, that we're finalizing a deal with there right now. Every time you drink a beer with this company, we take the equivalent of three plastic bottles there for the ocean every time you drink a beer. And of yeah. course, the beer company doesn't pay for it. The customer does. And again, it's just pennies. You're talking about pennies to do this. So we look at corporations as a whole, no matter what the corporation is. 
I ask the corporation, what is your transactions? Uh, what kind of transactions do you, do, do you make on a, on a yearly basis? Give us some data. You give us some data, we'll put some paperwork together. We'll give you two or three proposals back. Right. Proposal how we can tick all your ESG requirements at the same time, not cost you any money. We can do it. If we do it through transactions, it'll be passed on to the consumer. And I believe, again, I firmly believe in that. And I've been publicly, I've made this comment over and over again, which I did earlier in yeah. the podcast. We are creating the problem. We can't go blaming. I don't blame Coca-Cola for having bottles in the ocean. I think that is yeah. ludicrous to do that. Again, like, you know, we have to look in the mirror. We have to make our politicians more accountable if we want to fix the problem. And we have yeah. to empower the brands. By empowering the brands, they'll hire more people. They'll create more jobs. And, of course, that's a win-win. That's a win-win, like, you know, for these countries that these brands are operating in. And that's what we have to do. Do you, do you ever see a future where there is no gas and oil and, therefore, there is no plastic? No, no, I don't. If you look at, if you look at, if we, if we want to be real and measure everything regarding carbon footprint, right? And we look at, at paper, we look at paper versus plastic. You look at the carbon footprint of paper compared to plastic. There's no comparison. I mean, plastic is way ahead of it. Plastic is, is much more eco-friendly than, than paper. Um, what is the problem with plastic? The problem with plastic is, of course, there's not proper collection and recycling on the backside of it. If we can fix the problem with plastic, instead of trying to reinvent the wheel, we produced something years ago that was really amazing, was plastic. It's creating a massive environmental problem now, no doubt about that. Um, but yeah. we need to figure out how can we, how can we produce this place, piece of plastic? And once we're finished using that, how do we collect it and how do we recycle it? How do we get to zero uh, waste to landfill? How do we recycle 100% of our plastics? Some of the plastics that are harder to recycle we need, to, we need to address those problems. Um, I see the whole time people on about plastic taxes and the whole lot, like, you know, they're putting these search, putting these taxes, uh, government taxes, like, you know, they're in these yeah. companies. Is that going to fix the problem? Of course not. I'm giving money to politicians. Will you ever get that money back? Will they ever do something positive with it? Of course not. Um, yeah. So, like, you know, we have to look at a way to empower the corporation. How do we do that? Tax scheme is not a solution. That's definitely not a solution. So, again, it's building the infrastructure around that. How do we build the infrastructure around it? We build that by working with the brands, by working with the brands, not chastising the brands, not telling the brands, if you don't give us money, we're going to beat, we're going to beat you to death. We're actually going to do it in a way like, you know, that's going to help the company and empower the company. And so taking all of that, I think what, what success, like how many, um, users have you got on the app so and is this app in indonesia is it globally all over the world now you're actually you're actually welcome to to join a call the next week the app has just after been launched and we're we have our our first group um on friday which will be uh australia new zealand and and, and asia um are Maybe. all on the one call together to learn again how to how to, how to use the app and so on and so forth the second group is uh, is uh, is is just Europe, um, okay. and the third one I think then is Africa and the Middle East, and then it's the Americas after that. Uh, so we we operate we operate pretty much globally at this stage. Um, but again, like you know, the app by all means, I I will let you you can download the app, you can play around with the app, and and do whatever with that. All the collections of our data is uploaded there onto, onto a blockchain. Uh, so we collect our plastic. We again, we get everything independently audited, not a virtual audit. 
but actually a physical order. The person is going to be standing there opening these bags and yeah. going through them bag by bag and making sure what it says on the tin, that is what we're getting. And of course, we that that has constantly then been uploaded on the blockchain. And with that, we can look at ways then for corporations, how to eliminate corporations' carbon footprint, how to eliminate companies' plastic footprint. Um, again, look at ways like, you know, through the social side of it, again, by living wage, by kids getting a, getting an education, by stopping child marriage. Like yeah. simple things. We can change the world with the app. The app is not just about plastic. It's about yeah. how can we make it different? How can we stop the BS and actually do something, make a change, save a life by taking plastic out of the ocean? Amazing. Um Hearing the energy, the passion, the the drive for all of this, the fact that, you know, there's that full circularity just in its thinking, I think is something to be thoroughly supported and um praised and and we looking at the technology, I mean, often we get lost in technology is gonna save us, but actually what you're talking about is just some brilliant obvious basics. It's designing this in the materials, it's infrastructure to recycle, it's creating an economic value to that waste. Um, whilst there are deserts of, you know, clothing just scrapped, it's the same in the oceans with the plastic. So what what would be your your well, the obvious call out to the listeners is absolutely when you're consuming a product put it in the right place, whether that's recycling or in bins, etc. You know, I, I often joke here in the UK, we don't like dogs on a beach. And yet when you see what humans leave behind, it's quite hilarious. Um, right. What would be your call out to the listeners about how they might be able to get involved or or help um, in, in the Ocean Integrity Group? The, the difference with ourselves compared to anyone else. I remember growing up in Ireland. And every Easter, we used to have ads on radio and TV. And we go to school, we were given small little boxes, right? There was a charity in Ireland called Trocra. And it was when you get home to put all your coppers, right? All your pennies and your two peas or whatever into a little box, right? And bring it in. And, and with that, it was a case of help a kid in Africa. And as Trocra evolved, eventually you could get a, a name of a person, right? that you yeah. humanize that where those pennies yours were going. Um, and of course, what we see with this is, again, it's about doing something kind of similar, where we collect plastic, where a person by any company taking part with us, there's X amount of families. The families themselves, uh, you can show how you're dragging a family from extreme poverty, and this family is going right into the middle class. This family now is is after we're after eliminating poverty from that family. Once you break that cycle of poverty, and these kids will go to school, won't get married as children, uh, get a proper education. Once that happens, once that happens, that cycle is broken. That's never going to, going to happen. The kids are not going to end up in the same trap that their parents did. But on yeah. top of that with the likes of the application and the way we track and trace everything with data, uh, the company gets the family. Again, they can show, they can they can contact the family. They can speak directly with the family. How are they being treated by Ocean Integrity? 
what is their school grades? What exactly are they getting there? We market that, we market that to no end. We, we worked very, very closely with the government here with quite some time now. Uh, for every 250 tonne of plastic that would be collected by sponsorships with, with companies, we build a house. This house, we will build again a house with a concrete house. Um, again, two bedrooms, kitchen, air conditioning, hot water, cold water, shower, toilets, the whole nine yards. And we donate that. We donate that free. Again, that's donated to our collectors. Uh, the collectors the collectors is randomly picked with that. I like a lottery for them with the houses. And over the okay. years, every one of them are taking part. Not alone now are we dragging them out of poverty and giving them a leave, leave, living wage. We're providing them housing. We're providing them education. We are changing the lives of these communities. And that's where that's what's so different about this. That's so yeah. different. So, like, you know, there is we take regarding ESG, there's nothing like us on the planet. Um, we do know that. Uh, we provide yeah. a complete service for any corporation. And the difference with ourselves, if we say we're going to do something, we do it. Listen, um, and I feel like I need to call you Captain now. Captain Kieran Kelly, I think that's probably an an amazing place to, to end the session. I definitely, definitely want to get you back on the show um, as this progresses over the years through what was extremely tragic circumstances. Uh, I'm thankful to you and all of the team at Ocean Integrity to what you do. I hope to see you soon one day in Indonesia as well, where we can talk about what Indonesia needs, which I don't doubt is no different to Latin America, India, uh, Southeast Asia. But thank you so much for your time, Kieran. It's just been incredible. Thank you very much as well. Thank you. So that's it. You've made it. The show's over. Thank you for being with us. I hope you've been able to take something away, maybe solve a problem, or just know you're not alone. Here's hoping it made you smile with a few laughs along the way. Please feel free to find me on all social media channels and you can subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just search the Rony Morale podcast. Have an awesome day and see you next time.